Hey, this is Adam Penapinto. I'm the pastor here at Hope Covenant Church, and I'm so glad that you're joining with us today. Whether this is your first time listening or you're a part of our Hope Covenant Church family, we would love to connect with you via social media on all social media outlets or on our website, hopecovenant.cc. I hope this word encourages, inspires, and challenges you in your daily walk with God as we dig deeper into his word. Let's jump right into today's message. Let's pray together. Abba, Father, we're not here out of ritual or routine. We're here to encounter you and hear your voice and be changed by you, each one in a different part and place in life. So Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. And even in this this early and foundational stage of Hope Covenant, may these words of truth be part of the foundation. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord laid it on my heart to speak to you this morning about a spirit of faith. I want to open up the scriptures and then share some of my own personal journey with you. Numbers chapter 13 tells the account of the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan. God had promised Abraham and his descendants the land of Canaan, the land of Israel today. He had promised them this, and then they were in Egypt, they were in bondage, they were in slavery. God miraculously delivers them. You know the story, the 10 plagues, the splitting of the sea. Now it's time to take the land, the promised land. So 12 spies are sent out to to check out the land. These are leaders among the people of Israel, one from each of the 12 tribes. And they spy out the land for 40 days so they can bring back a report and tell everyone, okay, this is what's happening. This is a state of things. So verse 25, Numbers 13, 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land, which was massive and abundant. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, problem, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and besides We saw the descendants of Anak there, in other words, giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan and along the Jordan. So they're coming back with their detailed report. We we spied out the land, and it's, it's amazing, like you said, but there are some really big problems, and there are people everywhere, and they are big and strong people. Not like us. We are little, frail people. They are big and strong. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land 
through which we have gone to spy it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. And as a result of the bad report, the children of Israel become discouraged, and that generation dies in judgment in the wilderness. And only Caleb, and along with him his colleague Joshua, believed God, and they inherited the land. On the one hand, the report of the ten spies makes perfect sense. You sent us out to check things outright with our eyes, to look at things, to survey things, and to come back with a report. Why else did you send us out? So here's the report. The land is amazing, but we can't take it. The inhabitants there are too big and too strong. On the other hand, it made no sense at all to come back with that report because they had already seen God move. They had seen God bring judgment on one of the mighty empires of the day and, and, and the, the people of Egypt. They'd seen the plagues. They'd seen God's They'd seen the plagues come on Egypt and not on them. They saw God split the sea, so they had every reason to believe. Now, here's what's interesting. We all know the names of Joshua and Caleb, but I doubt that anybody in this room remembers the names of the 10 spies who said, we can't take the land. We don't remember the ones that, that spread unbelief and criticism and hopelessness. We remember the ones that stand up and believe. And, and you see, there's a pattern in numbers that right as the children of Israel are getting delivered, they begin to grumble and complain. And what about this? And what about this? And this is not the way I expected. And what is God going to let us go and be crushed and be killed? And, and, and it keeps coming up over and over. And then it comes up in Numbers 11, the people grumbling. And then Numbers 12, leaders criticizing Moses. And now, with all the grumbling, the complaining, it sets a pattern of unbelief. But here's the problem with faith. How do I know I'm not deceiving myself? How do I know that what I really believe is true if I don't see the expected results? Maybe I'm just sticking my head in the sand. Maybe I'm just walking in denial of reality. I had a guy on my radio show last week who goes by some crazy name that he made up for himself and he claims to be the Messiah. He claims to be the Christ. And says that Jesus didn't even exist. So I thought, well, great, let me interview him. And then partway through, as he was giving his credentials, I said, well, maybe I'm the Messiah. But you say he's here in the flesh. Maybe I'm the Messiah. I mean, obviously, I was exposing the level of deception that the guy was in. And I see people posting on our YouTube channel and saying, wow, poor guy, I got to pray for him. But I've seen some of his followers chime in. Look, right now, there are Muslims who believe what they believe is true and religious Jews who believe what they believe is true and Hindus who believe what they believe is true. What makes us right? What makes our faith right? And, and, and when we say, well, you know, we just quote Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 4, we don't look at what we can see, but, but what we don't see. What we see is temporary. What we don't see is eternal. How do we know we're not deceiving ourselves? So these are some of the questions you ask because faith is not by sight. You may see God work based on what you believe, but it's still invisible in terms of God working. Look, everything in my life 
the, the, the whole foundation of my life, the way I've lived the last 51 years, sacrifices I've made, whatever, and, and planning for eternity, it's all based on the death of Jesus and his resurrection, and I wasn't there to see it. Right. You weren't there to see it. In other words, it's all by faith. And yet we, we give our lives for it. We risk our lives for it. We, we make life quality decisions. We don't do certain things. We do other things. We give sacrificially by faith. How, how do we walk in faith? How do we obtain greater faith? How do we deal with that question, is it real or not? You see, there are certain things that we cannot take hold of unless we take hold of them by faith. And the promises that God's given this church and the spiritual land that God's called you to take, it will not happen except by faith. Even to worship here in a little building with a handful of people and to proclaim promises of God, that takes faith. How do we get faith? How do we walk in faith? How do we assure our hearts of the truth of what we believe? I've really been praying about a number of these issues in recent years because of, of unfulfilled promises. I've seen amazing things happen when I begin to share with people some of the things I've seen over, over my life. It seems like I've lived several lives, and it's amazing to, that I could recount and share some of the things I've seen with my own eyes and lived through an experience that are glorious and wonderful, and yet I know there's more. I, I know there are things that God promised. How do you take hold of it? You can't manufacture faith. You can't psych yourself up into faith. You know, here's someone you're praying for that's sick. Okay, we're going to pray. We're going to have faith. We're going to have faith. Come on, we can do this. It's one thing if you're lifting weights in the gym. Come on, you can do this. Or if you're encouraging your kid to, to die for the first time. Come on, you can jump into the pool. You can do it. But you can't do that with faith. You don't get psyched up in faith. Listen, you can even create a certain emotional atmosphere with the right music and the right sounds that give a feeling of faith, but it's not faith, it's emotion. How do you get hold of it? I've been spending hours with God wrestling through some of these things. And, and on, on the one hand, when God moves on you and speaks to you and you respond, that's faith, right? And, and that's, in a sense, easier to do. If, if you're reading the word and the, the words are jumping off the page and you know, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to act on this. I know it's counterintuitive. I know it's difficult. But, but I know that I have to take hold of it. I'm going to act on it. That's one thing. You're responding. It, it's one thing when the Holy Spirit speaks something to you and you know that you know it's God. You know, and you're, I'm not a coffee drinker, but let's say you're at Starbucks Right? I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like to be at Starbucks. But you're, you're at Starbucks, and you just feel this prompting. I'm just supposed to go over to this person and say, hey, do you need prayer? Right. And you feel it so strong, so you respond by faith. But what happens when God's not prompting? How do you get faith? Yeah. How, how do you get hold? If the promises are there, and you can only take hold of them by faith, how do you take hold of them? What do you do? Do you just repeat them? Do you speak them? Do you, do you, do you just say, God, I believe you? Uh, even saying the words I believe, is that real faith? And again, how do I know that those things I've believed for years and years and years are going to happen if they haven't happened already? I mean, picture your Abraham and Sarah. He's almost 100. She's almost 90. And, and you've had a promise for 25 years about having kids. Give it up. It's not going to happen. 
Look for spiritual children. Look for something else. Look for some other answer to it, some other interpretation. It's not going to happen, and yet that's the whole thing of faith. You believe things that are impossible. What's impossible with man is possible with God. I mean, that's, that's what Scripture says. That's the very essence of faith. The very essence of faith means risk. But it doesn't mean risk that you manufacture. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm just going to believe God and you step out. Now, that's called presumption. How do you take hold of faith? How do you walk in faith? How do you, if the promises are, how do I grab hold of them and see them realized? So I started doing these prayer retreats about once a month, about a year and a half ago, a little over that, just to get alone and get with God. So after my radio show on a Friday, I'll go to the grocery store, get my salads and stuff like that, and then just head to a place. It could be a hotel suite, it could be a little cabin, or if I'm speaking somewhere, and, and, and they'll have me for the weekend just to get alone. I'll just, wherever it is, I'm staying. And then I'll just spend Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night, just with the Lord. And I'll read the Word some and maybe, maybe write for an hour or two, but otherwise the rest of the time is just praying, praying, praying. And, and on one of these early prayer retreats last year, I was just going before God and saying, God, I don't want to deceive myself. You promised me this and it happened. I'm talking about major things in life and calling in ministry. Whatever it is in your own heart, the promises he's given. You, you promised me this and, and that happened. And you promised me this and that happened. But these other things, they still haven't happened. And even though I feel young and vigorous and, and full of health and, and life and and energy on, on every level, like I'm in, in my 20s, that's how I feel. I'm still at this point 66 last year, 67 now. I said, God, I don't want to deceive myself. I don't want to be believing for all these things that aren't going to happen yet because for years and years and years I've been believing and they still haven't happened. And the Lord spoke to me. You say, well, that's a faith thing to even say the Lord spoke to me. But he spoke to me. You know what he said? Where is your faith? Wow. Yeah. Why don't you trust me? Well, that's the whole thing. That's, that's the whole thing we're talking about here, Lord. That's why I'm praying about it. But that was his response. And, and, and he began to remind me, didn't I do the other things? Right, right. Did, didn't I do the other things? Yeah, of course they're disappointments. And of course they're unanswered questions. And of course there are things that don't happen in our time frame. And there are certain things we, in this world we, we don't get fixed. I understand that. But he reminded me, did I do the other things that I promised you? Did all the other things take longer than expected? Yes, well, it's the same with this. In fact, often the greater the promise, the longer it takes to be fulfilled. The, the greater purposes for God that God has in your life are not going to happen instantly in moments. If they did, they wouldn't be so great and big. And they'd be here today and gone tomorrow. And I often joke about this, but the gestation period of a mouse is like three weeks. You know, the two little mice mate, and three weeks later, there's a mouse. It's a, it must be tiny. Never seen a newborn mouse, but it must be absolutely tiny. Well, it just took a few weeks. And then if that mouse lives a long life, if it survives the cats and the snakes and the poison and everything else, maybe it'll live two years. I'm not an expert at this, but maybe two years. Picture an elephant. The gestation period of an elephant is like 22 months. Think of that, ladies. Sorry, Liz, not the right time to show. 22 months. 
But when the baby's born, it hits the ground walking. It's like 600 pounds. And that elephant has no natural predators, and it's going to live to be like 70 or 80 years old. And, and often the things we're praying for and believing for, we want the gestation period of a mouse, but we're going to get a tiny little mouse that's going to die. Better to have the gestation period of the element of the elephant, and, and you wonder, and Lord, how long? And that, you know, especially if you thought it was nine months, and now it's we've never heard of a pregnancy going more than nine months. You're going on two years. Oh, but what's birth lasts. What comes out of it is good and wonderful. Go with me to, to Luke chapter 24. An amazing passage. It's really got my attention in recent months. Luke 24, now what's happened earlier in the chapter? Jesus has risen from the dead. He has already risen from the dead, but these disciples don't know it yet. They heard about it, but they don't know it yet. So that very same day, Luke 24, 13, the day that he rose, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus is physically present with them, risen from the dead, but they don't know it yet. I mean, it's the, it's the case with so many situations that we're in. God is actually there, and the answer is actually there, and we don't know it yet, and we're speaking hopelessness and unbelief and fear and questioning, and the answer has already come. We just don't know it yet. He said to them, what's this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? They stood still looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? I mean, this is such an amazing account. The things about Jesus. And he's like, Oh, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We really thought it was it. We really thought we weren't dreaming. We really thought the prayers of generations had been realized. We... we we, we gave ourselves to it. We were sure that it was him. But now he's dead. He died. How does that work? Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. But remember, they're sad. They're not hopeful. They're not, what could it be? They're not having a conversation. Have you heard? Could it be? Could he be risen? No, they're sad because 
I know they're all saying he rose. But obviously he didn't because we're just depressed and hopeless. We really thought it was him. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Well, hang on, hang on. On the one hand, yes, Jesus kept telling them he was going to die, he was going to die, he was going to die, he was going to rise, he was going to die, he was going to die, he was going to rise. And they were so confused by this that they were having conversations. What does he mean rise from the dead? Well, it would be self-evident. He's going to die, and he's going to rise from the dead. Isn't that self-evident? But they couldn't wrap their minds around him even dying. So what does rise from the dead mean? They couldn't get it. On the one hand, he's told them over and over and over, and it was written in the Scripture. On the other hand, they didn't read the Scripture like that. And their expectation, he was going to rule and reign. So everything they're expecting to happen collapsed. And, and that's why the bottom fell out for them. Because the very thing that they were expecting to see, they now saw the opposite. Instead of being a king, he died the most scandalous death imaginable. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. It is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Many of us go through the same things that the disciples did there because along the way, if you walk with the Lord long enough, something will happen that brings disappointment. Something will happen where the bottom falls out or something will happen where it, it just doesn't seem to line up. It has to happen over the process of life, and that's part of faith. That's part of the journey. That's part of living in this world. And, and, and sometimes we don't want to get our hopes up again because it's too painful to, to fail. It's too painful to fall short. It's, it's better just not to, to hope, not to expect, not to believe, but now we're no longer people of faith. We're, if, we, if we live like the world, if we live by what we see, we can't do the will of God. You can't make quality decisions on a daily basis to do what's right. You can't hold to the values that God has. You can't push back against a godless culture. And more importantly, you can't even take ground. Because the only way you take spiritual ground is by faith. It's by the same attitude that Joshua and Caleb had. We can take the land. I'm talking spiritually. I'm not talking about a national takeover. Those watching by the government, I'm not talking about a national takeover. I'm talking about taking spiritual land. But, but we do it by taking hold of divine promises. We, we do it having lived through things where it seems, at least for a season, that the promises aren't true or, or quote, something is not working or something is wrong. How do we respond? 
during one of these prayer retreats, I asked the Lord, what would be meaningful to you? What would bless you? What would please you, Lord? And I just heard that quiet voice. Trust me. That's what he wants. That's, that's what he was I just want you to trust me. Nancy and I were looking at some notes that I had sent her some years back about faith as we were interacting about it. And we were sending it to a friend that was having a medical procedure to encourage her. And in the notes was the line, because these were just notes for me, faith gets into the wheelbarrow. She goes, what does that mean? Because all the other notes were self-evident statements and scriptures and things like that from a message I preached years ago. And I said, faith gets in the wheelbarrow. Let me tell you the story. The church in which we both got saved in the 70s, the pastor told a story about a man who sent out this cable running across Niagara Falls. And a crowd gathers because he is going to give a demonstration. He's got a wheelbarrow. And he says, how many of you believe that I can take this wheelbarrow, get on this cable, and walk across this cable, pushing this wheelbarrow, all the way to the other side of the falls, turn around, and come back? How many believe I can do it? A few hands go up. I don't know. So he carefully gets out, goes across slowly, turns around, comes back. Everybody's cheering. He says, how many believe I can do it again? Yeah, we believe. He said, how many trust me? Yeah. He goes, then get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> Faith gets in the wheelbarrow. Faith, at some point in your life, God requires you to step out of your comfort zone. On the one hand, it's a whole lifestyle. Every day of our lives, we live by faith. If you pick up the Bible to read it as God's word, you're living by faith. If you get on your knees and pray, you're living by faith. If you share your testimony with someone, you're living by faith. If you refuse to compromise ethically on your job, you're living by faith. If you praise God when everything around you feels miserable, you're living by faith. So on the one hand, this is how we live. This is who we are. It's not just a momentary decision. It is a lifestyle. Walking by faith, living by faith, the, the people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, some of them it's over many, 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 many years, decades, generations, living by faith, living by faith, living by faith. But in the midst of it, there are those times when God calls you out. There are those times when God speaks something to you, and it's costly, and there's risk involved. How do you know that you know it's God? And that's where track record comes in. That's where you could say, Lord, like, like David taking on Goliath. I killed the lion and I killed the bear. In other words, God, you helped me as a shepherd to take down these, these adversaries bigger than me. You can take down Goliath. It's building on it. it. It's a good reason why we should journal things and, and write down what God has said and write down what God has done. Because over the process of time, we tend to forget. I remember when I was teaching on Long Island in the mid-'80s, God spoke something to me about the ministry I was working with, gave me an insight, and said to me, don't say anything about it to the leadership. Just pray. And I told Nancy. I said, God spoke this to me and said to me, don't tell anybody. Just pray. It was one week later, I was talking with the director of the school, and the thought just came up, I should share this with him. And I, I told him the insight, which he wasn't happy with. Later, he agreed with it, but he wasn't happy with it then. 
And I remember I, I called Nancy and said, yeah, I, j- I just was sharing with the director, and it wasn't too happy. She said, you did what? I said, well, I was just telling them what you know, the Lord said to me. She said, didn't God tell you not to say anything? It's like, oh, that was a week ago. <laughs> I, had, I mean, it was a week ago. I had I'd written it down, and I forgot in a week. How much more in a year or two or five or 10 or 20? We forget things. That's why the children of Israel were told over and over and over, recount these things, remember these things. Every year, the calendar helps you remember these things, the festivals, the holy days, the memorials, so that you don't forget God, so that every new generation can experience God for themselves. Because when you've really experienced him, when you really encountered him, like Leonard Ravenhill used to say, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Like, I can't answer your question, but I just know God changed my life. I'm sorry I don't have a scientific explanation, but I just know Jesus healed me. Yeah, I know it makes no sense that I'm here doing this in this situation, but it's God. What can I say? How do do we deepen our faith? How, How do we learn to take hold of spiritual realities? Not living in denial. Not just confessing something that, that we want or we hope for, living in reality. There was a, a well-known Bible school years back, large enrollments, and it was known as a faith school. But because they taught faith so aggressively, one of the faculty members told me that on the application where you're filling out, here's my background, this, 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 they had to tell people we want factual answers, not faith answers. They would even tell people, when you are sending in your tuition, we need real money, not faith money. Because people just write out a child, just write out a check by faith. It wasn't faith, it was presumption. You know, people would say, well, Romans 4, you speak those things into existence that are not. And they'd fail a test and say, praise the Lord, I got an A. No, that doesn't work like that. You failed. You can't change it by faith. What you can do is work harder next time. What's the difference between really believing and being presumptuous? What's the difference between really believing and just speaking into the air? And does it just come if we say it enough, or is that brainwashing ourselves? As as I've really gone to the Lord about this, because of the promises that he's given, because of the things that I've not yet seen happen, and, and, and I, I've said, Lord, I'm thrilled with what you've given me to do. And by God's grace, we've reached millions of people, and we do on a regular basis. And, and we hear the good reports, the fruit, the testimonies all the time. If, if you want me to just stay here, I'm happy to do it. If, if you want me to just stay here, and, 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 and I'm content, I'm, I'm thrilled, I'm grateful. It, it wasn't a matter of ambition or, or discontent. It's a matter of promises promises. As as our ministry school that was founded in 97 began to get smaller and smaller as we we were here in North Carolina, we tried a few different things to see with some adjustments in the program if that might might help be more practical for more people and realize, okay, no, it's not happening. God's just not sending us students. The school had gotten smaller. After 22 years, okay, Time to just put the classes online and stop our physical classes. As I'm wrestling with that, I get gripped out of the blue. Because I'm thinking, all right, since the early 80s until 
or close to 2020 thereabouts, so like a 40-year period, I've always been, with rare exception, teaching in schools or leading schools and things like that, planting new schools. So I guess that season of my life is over. And I get stirred in prayer one day. I'm groaning under the burden, and I write down in my journal by the Spirit, where is that school connection to train thousands to reach millions? It stirs up in me again. So over the next year or so, I keep getting calls from colleagues. Hey, Mike, we, we want to do an online school. Can you give us some wisdom? I said, sure. Or maybe our team could be that school. Because remember, God's spoken to me about this connection. Picture it like this, guys. You're single, and God tells you this year you're going to meet your wife. So every young lady you meet, you know, she's spiritual. I wonder if that's her. She's pretty. I wonder if that's her. You, know, you kind of... God said you're going to meet your wife this year. That's how I felt. So, you know, hey, maybe we, so we'd work together. Nah, that wasn't it. Someone else say, Dr. Brown, we've got this project, this school. We'd like you to be involved with it. I said, I'm in. I didn't even pray about it. I'm in because that must be the school connection. And that wasn't it. Now, these three different things. I'm like, okay. Then where is it? I mean, you moved on me. Well, suddenly kind of out of the blue, one thing after another, after another happened after another, after another. And, and now every month I'm spending five, every month during the school year, five days in, in the DFW area, three days teaching at one ministry school with students from about 50 nations, two days teaching in another ministry school, brand new, that's just bursting. Made a commitment to, to spend one day a month, like five hours, just pouring into another school with Planet Fire grads that'll start in September. Next month, I was scheduled to fly down to, to the YWAM base in, in, in Hawaii just to pour into their entire student body for several, several days. Another, another seminary, just hungry, open to the things of the Spirit, was so eager to have me come back again this year after I was with them in November that they changed their entire calendar for their entire student body to enable me to come. It's like bursting out of everywhere. God spoke it. God had a plan, but there's a time when you, when you don't see it, when it hasn't happened yet. Right. What do you do? How do you make it happen? One, one of the things is, is that you travail in prayer. You agonize in prayer, like, like a woman giving birth. or you, you carry it. You go back to God, and you go back to God, and you go back to God and say, you promised. You promised. Because if it hasn't happened yet, how do I speed it up? How do I make it happen? If God doesn't do anything in, in terms of his general working with his children, if it's not based on faith, if it's not a response to faith, if he doesn't move, if he doesn't act, then, then how do we speed it up? How, what's our part? A lot of things will never happen if we just wait for them to fall on our heads like ripe fruit falling from a tree. We can live and die and never see the promises fulfilled. If it's the Lord, he'll do it. Well, he, he did. He said, I'll do this, you do this. In other words, he, he set the thing in motion, and it requires our participation. You know, many people praying to be filled with the Spirit and, and asking God to fill them with the Spirit, they will... They will pray, and they will just stand kind of like this. 
and stand and wait and stand and wait, and nothing happens. Sometimes you ask them, did you feel the Holy Spirit moving on you? Yes. Did you feel something just rising up, a new language to speak out? Well, yes. Well, why didn't you do it? Well, I was waiting for God to take over my mouth. Well, he doesn't just take, he may do that sometimes, but it's not like you just, angels come, one gets the lower jaw, the other, the upper jaw, and the, it, it doesn't work like that. He moves, we sense the spirit, the spirit, and now we respond. I mean, isn't that consistent in the Gospels and Acts with, with healing? Even, even in Acts 3, just listening to that and driving, driving the office one day, listening to the Bible, Acts 3, I was just struck again. You've got the, the lame man, lame from birth. Peter and John walking up into the temple, and they look at him, so he thinks, okay, I'm a beggar. They're about to give me something, and Peter says, I don't, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, Messiah of Nazareth, get up and walk, right? And then Peter grabs him to help him up. In other words, Peter responds by faith, and the man does what he can. He can't walk, but somehow by faith he does what he can do. But if I'm, if I'm crippled, if I can't walk, and I'm commanded to walk, how do I do it? Well, there's the response of the heart. There's the response of the heart. And in Peter's case, because he knows it's gone, he grabs the guy to pull him up. There's our response that's essential. And sometimes the, the first thing we can do is go back to God and take it back to God and bring it back to God once again. God, you promised. God, you promised. And, and, and then... As, as, we, as, as we're praying about those things, we now go to God and begin to praise him for his faithfulness. Praise him for his goodness. Praise him that he always keeps his word. You say, yeah, but I got a question about this and this and this. Right, it's a question, but he remains faithful. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but that which is open and revealed belongs to us and our children, that we may do all the, the words of this teaching, all the words of this law. In other words, what he's given, he's given. And many things we don't understand in this world, and they remain mysteries, but what he's given, he's given. And, and, and just as I'm wondering, well, what about this, and what about this, and what about this, his presence feel, fills the room, and all you can do is worship. Like, okay, I don't understand. It's almost like this. I needed a miracle to stop me from going bankrupt in my business after these businessmen turned on me. I needed a miracle, and that didn't happen. And, and, and now we lost our business. And I'm sitting in my car crying, and next thing, Jesus literally, I'm just giving you an imaginary scenario. Jesus literally appears in the car, sitting next to me, and puts his arm around me and says, it's all going to work out, and as a sign, I'm going to miraculously heal that crippled arm you've had for years, and you're healed. It's like, okay, I don't understand what happened with the bankruptcy, but I can't deny the reality of Jesus. I can't deny the reality of God, and therefore, I'm going to praise him in the midst of the questions. I'm going to worship him in, in the midst of the pain. I'm going to declare his faithfulness when everything in my mind is telling me, you're crazy. So there's that going back to God, going back to God, reminding him, Lord, you promised, you promised. When our daughters were, were younger, remember one day we lived in Maryland, and one day, by the way, you may think you hear music playing, that's the angel singing. <laughs> or maybe it's music coming out of the set time as if the message was a set time. 
So our, our daughters, younger, were living in Maryland in, the, in days when I was eating unhealthily. And I, I came home one day, I said, hey, hey girls, I said, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow after, after dinner, we'll go get some ice cream. And they said, okay, dad, great. That's great, we'll get ice cream tomorrow. Okay, great. Well, the next day came and my schedule had changed a little and I was a little bit rushed. I was gonna have to do some stuff in the evening. And I thought, you know, maybe it'd be better tomorrow because we'll have more time, won't be a rush. And I said, girls, maybe it'd be better if we wait till tomorrow and we can, we can um, uh, have, have ice cream then. And instantly, they started crying. Crocodile tears pouring down their cheeks. Instantly. But daddy, you promised. You promised. And I'm thinking, wait. I, I just said the night before, maybe. I said, maybe. Maybe after dinner, we can go get some ice cream. That's what I said the night before. But they heard me say, come hell or high water. No matter storms, floods, winds, hurricanes, earthquake, I pledge by my blood that we will get. I mean, that's what they heard. And I thought, okay. Daddy's going to keep his promise, because if they can't trust Daddy's promise, they're not going to trust God's promise. Now, I do remember learning my lesson. Some weeks later, they came in my study. I'm sitting at my desk, and they said, they said, hey, Dad, could we get McDonald's today? And I said, maybe. There's not, not going to be like probably or let's or maybe. And they said, okay. And in my presence, they began to talk. Now, he didn't say definitely, he didn't say, but he did say maybe, and when dad says maybe, then, and they start jumping up and down, we're gonna get McDonald's, it's like, oh. <laughs> on one hand, I thought it's hopeless, on the other hand, I thought, okay, good, I like that attitude. God loves it when we go back to him and say, but God, you promised. God loves it when we turn to him and say, Lord, I, I don't see it, I don't feel it, but you gave me a promise, I don't understand it, but I'm believing you. So you, you cry out to him, then you begin to praise him. And then as you begin to feel that faith rise, that's the response. That's when you can speak it. That's when you can declare it. And then sometimes God will move on you to declare it in front of people. Think, what did I just do? I just spoke that in front of 10 people, in front of 500 people. Because sometimes the moment you speak it, all sense of assurance disappears. You feel it so strongly, you speak it out there, and all sense of assurance disappears. It's like, wait a second, I know God spoke that. I'm going to hold on to it. So I want to encourage you. There are promises that God has given this congregation. And there is land that he has promised you, spiritually speaking, that you can take. But you can only take hold of it by faith. I encourage you to go to God and go to God until that spirit of faith rises because you can't manufacture it. And there are promises for you as individuals. There are promises in your personal lives. There are things that God has spoken, and they're not just going to happen over the process of time. In fact, the, the one guaranteed thing that will happen over the process of time is we will get older. That's the one guaranteed thing. Change is not necessarily going to happen by itself. When Martin Luther King was in jail in, in, in Birmingham, Alabama, and, and there were people that wrote and said, listen, just give it time. It, it, the, 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 the sands of time 
It takes a while for change to come. And, and King wrote his famous letter from a Birmingham jail. He said, just the process of time itself changes nothing. Things can be bad in one generation, bad in the next, and bad in the next, or even worse. You can deal with the same problem in your life, in your kid's life, their life. Things don't just change by themselves. There, there must be a holy aggression. There must be a taking hold. There must be a going to God. And, and, and it is when we feel that promise rise up again that we declare it. And we act on it accordingly. And, and, and it is taking that promise in faith, in prayer, before we feel that, before we have that sense, we're acting in faith even now. Lord, I don't see it. I don't feel it. But I believe you spoke it, so I'm going to hold you to it again and again and again. And I've looked at things that God's had me journal. Just my, my, my habit, if I really get gripped in prayer for a specific thing or have a very specific request, I'll write it out. Because many times we forget how many prayers God has answered. We forget how many things God really has done. So... I, I, I was going back and looking probably over a three-year period, and saw he had me pray with intensity, with travail, with burden, the exact same prayer for the exact same thing in terms of a ministry promise for three years. Sometimes monthly, but I'm talking about for three years. Over and over and over. The exact same prayer. And I went through the whole prayer journals about two months ago, and I said, it's done. It, 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 it's done. It's been prayed over and over. It's done. And after that, it was after saying that and knowing it, boom, now we're seeing this about to explode. Hear me. God is faithful. And he's calling us to be people of faith. And we will never see the promise of God fulfilled without faith. It's not presumption. It's not optimism. It is a real trust in the character of God and the Word of God. Let me say this last thing, and then we'll pray together. So, Adam mentioned at the outset of the service the massive loss that was experienced with Brad going to be with the Lord. His wife Nikki and his precious kids here today slightly over a year ago. And I've been in the Lord now a little over 51 years. And like everybody else, seen loss, prayed for people over a period of time and they died. Accident, someone, how do you explain this? You know, those things happen. But very few impact me or Nancy in such a way where it just it, it's, it's felt like it's not supposed to be like that. Like the script should have been changed. It doesn't make sense. To this day, it's, it's, it's a reality we live with. So just last night, thinking about, about Nikki, not knowing she'd be here today, and going through that, that same process still doesn't make sense. And I don't think it'll ever make sense in this world. But I, I felt this so strongly just in the service, kids and Nikki just sitting here. The one thing that you know is that you've been through things very few have been through with the, the two massive losses that you suffered and the way that they happened. Makes no sense. And like I said, in this world, won't make sense. And yet the one thing that you can do that very few people can do 
I still trust God. There, there is something when you've been through massive loss and things that should absolutely strip your faith. Say, don't believe again. <laughs> don't ever believe again. It's too painful. It's not real. Don't believe again. That you can still trust him and worship him is something that very few people can offer on that level. Not only so, it'll shape the rest of your lives because it's either that, being people who trust and people look at you and learn from you, and because they go through tragedy and hardship, you minister to them and you offer something I can't offer because I haven't lived through what you lived through. Whatever I lived through is very minor compared to that. You either grow in that and take hold of it and even though you don't understand in this world and the loss remains profound, you praise God, you worship him, you, tr you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm gonna tr from the, the depths of my heart, I'm going to trust you. And not only will your life be blessed, but you'll touch a whole lot of people in the years ahead that'll shock you. Trust me on this, that'll shock you. Or go the way of hopelessness, unbelief. How many people we know ex experience loss, their lives fall apart become alcoholics, drug addicts, go through divorce, upheaval, take their own lives, they become cynics, skeptics. You see, wow, that life was destroyed. That life was destroyed. And there's nothing more precious that we can offer up to God than our trust. God, I'm gonna trust you. Lord, I, 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 from the heart, I trust you. So it's my prayer that this is a community of faith. I'll, I'll end with this story. In 2014, a pastor, well, actually traveling youth minister, reached out to me through our ministry and seen me on Piers Morgan talking about cultural issues, culture wars, and said, uh, really felt someone I could re relate to in terms of the, the, what I want to be and live out. And Dr. Brown, would you mentor me? So our email, we get thousands of emails that just go to our other team members. But this one ultimately made it to, to Cindy, our ministry director. And she looked at it and she said, Mike, I think you should pray about this. So I did. I actually showed it to Nancy. I said, what do you think? Well, we all felt good about it. So even though it was a total stranger, I said, okay. So he flew up to meet me. We spent time. He was just doing youth ministry, just traveling youth ministry. That was it. Well, over the years, can't quite fit right in that church and have the right release. And, you know, where's the home base and struggling? And I'm just there for him as much as I can be. And then he tells me God's spoken to him to plant a church. And uh, probably about five, six years ago, God spoke to him to plant a church in Fort Worth and begins to get a plant. It, it's a long story, but miraculous grace along the way. Church plant starts, I'm there. He asked me if I'll be an, an, an apostolic elder. So three of us as outside elders, mentors to the, to, the, to the leadership and so on. Sure, absolutely. Plants the church, starts to grow dramatically. Now, you know, where they need a place to meet and so on. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming, multiple services, prayer, fasting, all this. So he texts me, calls me, Dr. Brown, there's a buildings, well-known, you know, right, you know, they know how to do it in Texas with the, you know, big church, you know, cross or right by the, the highway, that kind of deal. You know, big building seats, a couple thousand plus people. Another facility that's a school with 500 kids in it. 
but the church is getting older. They're unable to maintain the building. The congregation's down to just a few hundred. And, and, uh, and what are they, they going to do? Building getting run down. Don't have finances for it. So this young man says to me, Dr. Brown, I believe God is going to give our church this building. Give us the building. Worth about $22 million. So he does a 40-day fast, and every day drives around the property. Every day drives around the property. And then texts me and says, Dr. Brown, I'm going to go in and wash the pastor's feet. Man, probably in his 80s. I'm going to wash his feet and ask him to give us the building. So he does it. pastor says, yes. They have like $4 million or something that they owe on the mortgage. So if they can take that over, the building is theirs. You're a new church, a couple of years old. How, where are you going to get that money from? God provides the money, works things out, get the building. And, you know, that's, that's one of the, the schools where I teach glorious presence of God in, in, in worship. Thousands of people coming during covid and they, they, they got a plan to, to give meals to people. So you'd come by in your car. Two days a week, they had the, uh, access. You'd come by in your car. There's like a warehouse in the back of the building. And they'd stock your car with three meals for one month. And pray over the people and so on. And during COVID, they gave away more than 80 million meals. <laughs> The building is probably worth like 30 million now because of the renovation. The whole thing's it's crazy, it's absurd, but it all happened by faith. It was it was hearing God, pressing into him, then hearing him, and then taking hold of it. And some of you, even now, as I close, some of you, there are promises that have been you're stirred about. Take hold of them. Right now, as we pray, close your eyes with me. Take hold of the promises. I'm not saying to manufacture it. Some of your prayers, Lord, help my unbelief. Some of you are just struck with the fact like, wow, I don't, there's no faith there. No condemnation, it happens to all of us. Just be honest with God. But some others, something's rising. Say, Lord, I believe you. Lord, I believe you. Others, just as an act of worship, say, Lord, I believe. God will never disappoint. Ultimately, in this world or the world to come, what he does will massively exceed our wildest dreams. And in the midst of our deepest crises, God will be glorified. Make us a people of faith. Help us to take hold of the spirit of faith, Father. May Hope Covenant see the realization of the promises you've given. Together, may we take the land. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you take a seat, I, I just want to say this, because I, I believe God's not done yet. There was a moment on the opposite spectrum of what you're just talking about that's going to reach somebody here. I remember I lost my brother in 1998. Dr. Brown had flown up, um, was in the sanctuary where my brother's body was brought to to prepare for the funeral. And they were, you were in there praying for, is there, is there a... Is this over or not? Like, they were praying that he would come back. And I remember as a teenager being freaked out about that and thinking, I, I don't have faith for that. And I actually, for a long time, for years, about two years, thought I was the reason why he didn't come back. And I remember the Lord saying to me, are you arrogant enough to think that you dictate my will? 
I don't know y'all understand this. That's an, an incredible revelation that we understand that the will of God, we've got to trust like he was just talking about. We've got to trust in his timing and his ways when we don't understand it. That's easier said than done. I want to ask you this. This morning, if you're in a position where you're like, I'm struggling with trust, I want you to stand to your feet right now if you're in a position where you're struggling with trust. Out of obedience, I want you to stand to your feet because God is about to do something. You're saying, I am struggling trusting you right now. I don't understand this moment. There's something about obedience if you would stand to your feet. There's, God is going to do a work here this morning. And just lift your hands. And I want you to just say this to the Lord, Father, I surrender. I don't get it. I don't understand. But I understand that your ways are perfect. And I trust you. Say it out loud. I trust you. There's something about the obedience of your ears hearing your mouth say it when it doesn't make sense. And Father, I ask you for revelation and understanding this morning in the middle of a situation that we don't understand. Faith, believing in things that we don't understand. We don't see them, but we know, Father, that your ways are perfect. Your timing is perfect. You're never early, but thank God you are never late. We trust you this morning in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that your ways are perfect. Your ways are perfect. We cling on to your promises this morning. Just say this out loud, Father. Your promises are true. They're yes and amen. And I trust you. Even if that's an act of faith, I trust you. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, would you put your hands together? Listen, our pastoral staff is going to come forward. If you need prayer, come on forward. Uh, I want to ask uh, Pastor Kieran and Laurel, Pastor Gary and Cindy, um, and Pastor Liz, we, we want to pray with you. If you need somebody to just agree with you this morning, we're here for you. If you need just an extra push. But this year, as we, as we surrender, I believe God's going to do some amazing things. Thank you to those of you that are watching online. We'll see you next week at 1030. You guys are dismissed. Thank you so much. If you need prayer, come on forward. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it and share it on social media or jump onto our website hopecovenant.cc and click on our giving link and help us continue to share the message of Jesus across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.